Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about The Last Dance. We're going to talk about Francis S. Collins, share some current news, and Brian and I are going to play a game. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good. Everyone, welcome to the Common Good, or as Brian loves to say each and every Wednesday, it is, of course, what day, Brian? Hump day! There yes. it is. I just finally, I saw a commercial, someone was like resharing it, and I thought, well, I, I have to give props to Brian then, because this is uh, the most excited you are to ever announce a day during the week, it seems. Hump day. <laughs> that is <You> true. <laughs> a couple of things. Find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. We not only post articles there, but you can send us messages with suggestions for the show. You can also find us Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get podcasts, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, like all that stuff. It helps us out a whole ton and we're super, super grateful for all of you who have already done that. I put about, what, this is this 37 links here in this first segment here, Brian? <laughs> There's a lot of them. It's too many and we, I, we don't have any time to spend on any one of them, but they were just really interesting stories slash headlines that I wanted to at least kind of wanted to start today just sharing some like current news, which we don't often do. Yeah. And then uh, if one of them really gets traction on Facebook, maybe we'll revisit it later in the week. So why don't you go ahead and hit us with the first one? Yeah, the first one's a, a sad story. And, and the, what struck me in reading all of these that you put on here is that in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, that kind of takes all the air out of every newscast, you know, so you don't even some of these are really big stories. And as I was reading through them going, oh, I ne- didn't hear that one. I didn't know right. that one. So. Right. Uh, the first one's out of Louisville, and it's a hard story. It says Louisville police to change policies after Brianna Taylor killed by a cop in her home. Yeah. And the story's tragic. Brianna Taylor, 26, she was killed in March when police entered her home searching for illegal drugs. Uh, they started shooting after Taylor's boyfriend shot at them first, and she was killed. What makes this story so... Um, controversial or just ugly is that they were executing a a search warrant in which they don't have to knock right like right. so they don't knock so these people are in their home and the police barge in and the boyfriend starts shooting because he's thinking they're going to get robbed here and the police return fire and she was killed in it uh and so that that has staged a bunch of protests in louisville and it has changed how louisville is doing their no knock warrants to be honest with you I didn't even know this. You know, these are I'm constantly learning things here. I didn't know this was a thing, but you could understand how something like that could go really badly and uh, just ends in a tragic, tragic way. Well, and apparently and I I'm not entirely sure this is accurate. It's been hard to find out the right information, but it was the wrong home. Right. And oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Kenneth Walker, the boyfriend, is in custody. He has no criminal history for drugs or violence. He's licensed to carry. And it turns out that the suspects were actually already in jail. So, oh no, the story, yeah, the story is all sorts of crazy. I, I imagine that's one that maybe we'll have to unpack yeah. a little bit later in the week. Just Gosh, that's absolutely hard. heartbreaking. Another story that's heartbreaking for a completely different reason. This is in my home state of Michigan. Uh, Michigan declares an emergency after two dams collapse, threatening a town with up to nine feet of flooding. Have you seen this one at all? I heard about it. I did. I didn't see these videos. Our videos are crazy. Yeah. And again, we don't have time to spend a lot of time on any of these. I would encourage you to go look it up, at least watch the video. I was showing my wife some photos and she was like audibly gasping. Like it's re- it's really, really frightening. And people are evacuating and you see images of like buildings all the way oh. up to the shingles, just absolutely flooded. I mean, it is. Gosh, 
I mean, it, I mean, I'm I'm biased because this is my home state, but please, please, please be praying for Michigan and uh, that specific area for sure. Is that, I know Michigan's big. Is that anywhere remotely near where you grew up, or is that a different part of the state? It's a different part. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, it's a couple of hours. It's a little, uh, if okay. I'm remembering this correctly, northwest of Saginaw, but I mean, still in the like lower half of Michigan, though. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I feel this every time something happens in New Jersey. It's yeah, it, totally. Whether South Jersey or North Jersey, I'm always like, oh, so. Uh, this next story, uh, at a, it's, uh, touches COVID-19. A doctor who delayed retirement to fight the pandemic at low-income hospital has died of COVID-19. Uh, a doctor, uh, pulmonologist James Mahoney, reportedly worked his day shifts in the intensive care unit at the University Hospital of Brooklyn, which, like many hospitals in New York, initially lacked the medical equipment needed to treat the onslaught of coronavirus patients. He was 62 He had the option after serving for 40 years as a physician to retire, but instead treated his patients until, unfortunately, he contracted the disease in April 27th, uh, and he later passed away from it. So just, you know, uh, you can look at, I have CNN on the background, and you just look at the numbers climb, and you just, it's hard to put faces to it, and then you read stories like this, and you're reminded that with every number is a person, and the tragedy of someone who could have retired, he could have let other people worry about this, uh, stepping in and taking on in a low income hospital to try to help people only to contract the virus and die himself is just uh, a real tragedy. And he's somebody who deserves to be honored. I was going to say almost in my mind, the definition of a hero like that to me, I I read that story and was like weirdly affected by it. All right. So let's uh, let's share a couple of good news stories here. Uh, Walmart hires almost a quarter million workers as sales soar. So they hired what's the number here? Two hundred and thirty five thousand new staffers to keep up with demand. It's uh, you know, it's the largest retail chain. I can imagine some people maybe are less than thrilled because it is still Walmart. You know, it's still big box, Mm -hmm. but in a in a time where everyone seems to be struggling to find work or keep work that at the very least I thought was at least a a glimmer of some good news. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I think you put this one in here. Just you timed it for me here. I did. Exactly. Uh, Caroline couple turns in $1 million bounty. They found in the middle of the road. That's nuts. It's nuts. It says like, like others throughout the county, Emily Shantz and her family have spent a lot of time inside their Caroline County home lately because of the pandemic. So on Saturday, she, her husband, and their children decided to get out of the house and head toward the short pump area for what they expected to be an uneventful ride. It turned out to be a million-dollar experience. So to make a long story short, they come across a bag. They pick up the bag and another one nearby, put them in the trunk, continued on their ride, when they get home, they realize that the bag, they thought they were picking up trash. And they realize that instead of trash, it is all filled with money. It's filled with cash. And they notified a deputy that they go to church with. And it was determined that it totaled close to $1 million. And they said it speaks volumes for the high character people that they are. And uh, so, yeah, that is high character. I got to be honest. Like, I know that I've do- I've gone on the hill of I wouldn't turn it in. For some reason, amount of money that big, I think I would turn it in. And I know that makes no logical sense whatsoever, but I'm going with that. <laughs> well, it may not make logical sense, but it is good to hear, though, on a Christian talk show, Pastor Brian, <laughs> that apparently there is a dollar amount too big that you wouldn't keep to your stuff. Okay, we got, we got less than a minute. I'm going to skip over. I'll mention it real briefly. A guy at a Waffle House shot somebody else for not wearing a mask, oh, which that's no good. just to say it out loud, don't do that. 
that's not good. I'd love for you to read this last one, though. I mean, this one's so fascinating to me. All right. Let me click on it because I thought you were about to do it. It's from earthlymission.com. Recently discovered dinosaur mummy is so well preserved it even has the skin and guts intact. What? Yeah. Look at these pictures. That's unbelievable. It says we have a dinosaur as it would have been. Scientists are hailing it as the best preserved dinosaur specimen ever discovered. You can't even see its bones. They remain covered by skin and armor. Uh-huh. Uh, the fossilized nodosaur is more than 110 years, million years old, found accidentally by miners in Canada. Patterns are still visible. Uh, this is crazy. It is being referred to as the dinosaur mummy, and it is unbelievable when you see these pictures. Okay, so just to say it out loud, we obviously didn't get to cover any of those, but we've posted all of them over at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. We would love to know what stood out to you. If you ever have suggestions for stories or articles, shoot us a message. We would love to include that in the show. And coming up next, uh, some news that I'm really excited to share about Francis S. Collins, who just won the Templeton Prize. We'll talk about why that's significant coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I said that more aggressively than I feel like yeah. I typically do. Well, welcome, welcome back. Yeah. That's yeah. My excitement comes across as aggression, which is <laughs> not, not good for preaching at all. <laughs> I guess so. it's worked out for other people over the decades. Anywho, True. find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, even articles we don't talk about. I posted one earlier today about a guy that created a YouTube channel specifically to teach people how to do stuff around the house because I his dad that. abandoned him when he was a kid and he didn't want kids to not know how to, just a beautiful story. We won't talk about it anymore on the show, but that's where you can send us messages. If you have ideas for the show, you can also find us Twitter and Instagram at common good talk and wherever it is, you get your podcast. Some of you maybe don't realize, but subscribing rating and reviewing to that stuff helps us out way more than maybe, you know, so if you have a spare moment, Doing all of that and then sharing it with a friend helps us out a ton. And I saw a couple of people posting this article from religionnews.com. Francis Collins wins Templeton Prize. And I asked you a little bit during the break. You know who Francis Collins is, right? I do. He's a, yep. he's a brilliant geneticist and the director of the National Institute of Health. He's also like a pretty devout Christ follower and someone right. that I've watched for a while. I think he spoke at a Catalyst conference years ago. And oh, wow. uh, okay. for a long time, he was the head of the Human Genome Project, and he mapped successfully sequenced three billion DNA letters that composed the Human Genetic Instruction Book. <laughs> like he just a I don't know what it is about seeing people who are that much more brilliant than I could ever dream of being also saying, yeah, I still conclude that the God of the Bible is the way to go. Like there's just something, I don't know, strangely comforting about that, I guess. And right. uh, I wanted to, since I knew a lot of you maybe not, you know, would be familiar with who he was or his work. He did an interview. I think this was probably seven or eight years ago that was sort of talking a little bit about his faith. If you want to get like a little bit of a primer on who he is and where he comes from. So I thought we'd play just a couple of minutes from that interview. And then with whatever time we have left, Brian Fromm and I will respond. Why? You were not a believer early in your life. Why? It was the way I was raised. I was raised in this uh, remarkable environment by a drama professor father and a playwright mother, uh, surrounded by theater, music, the arts. Uh, they were doing the 60s thing, except it wasn't quite the 60s yet. 
And I was exposed to all kinds of fascinating ways to learn about life and the world and uh, ideas. Uh, but faith was not really on the list of things that were talked about. It wasn't that faith was put down or considered uh, inappropriate for other people. It just didn't sort of enter the conversation in my childhood. Did it exist in your mind as a question? Oh, I had glimmers of something, some longing outside of myself, some sense that maybe there was a God up there that I might be able to reach out to. What brought you as an adult then to faith? Well, first, as an adult, I walked very far away from faith. I went from being sort of well, vaguely interested, but not really, uh, to becoming an atheist. Uh, as a scientist studying physical chemistry, quantum mechanics, I became convinced that everything about the universe could be described by equations. So what changed that for you? Well, I changed my life plan from physical science to medicine. And when I went to medical school, the ideas about death and dying, which had been rather hypothetical, became very real. You can't be in that environment, sitting at the bedside of people who are facing the end of their lives without having it affect you. Did you set out to find God or to find that there was no God? I set out to prove that my atheist position was correct. I set out to try to find out what really were the rigorous arguments that I assumed were there that would rule out any possibility of God for a thinking person. You must have found many of them. <laughs> I found some, many of them were ones I had cooked up in my own mind, but the harder I looked at them, the flimsier they were. All of us human beings have a sense that there is such a thing as right and there's such a thing as wrong. What a curious thing. Where does that come from? If you were looking for evidence of a God who cares about human beings, not just a God who started the universe in motion and then wandered off somewhere else, wouldn't this be an interesting place to find him? Basically as something written within our hearts, universally in humankind, making us different from other species, and calling us to be good and holy, pointing us as a signpost, if you will, towards something outside ourselves that is much more good and much more holy than we can imagine. Did you have at some point a born-again experience? When people talked to me about born-again, I didn't know what they were really referring to when I was growing up. But yes, I did have a moment where I became a believer. I had struggled for two years with this debate within myself, gradually coming to the conclusion that belief in God was the most plausible of the choices, but that it couldn't be proved. And after many months of struggling with whether to make that leap, uh, on a beautiful fall day, hiking in the Northwest with my mind a little more clear than usual because there were not the usual distractions, I felt I could no longer resist. And I became a believer that day uh, in the sunshine and the shadow of the Cascade Mountains. Okay, Brian, so I know that you were already familiar with Francis Collins, but anything about that interview stand out to you or anything about this article with him kind of winning this uh, high honor? I did. From the interview, you know, for somebody this brilliant, and like you said, in an age where uh, increasingly it feels like people want to say you either have to choose faith or science, right? Like um, for somebody like him, a brilliant scientist to come to faith, uh, like you said, is is encouraging. But th to hear him say that in the beginning, he set out to prove that God didn't exist. Like he right. was like, no, I'm going into this to help people believe that faith in God is is not scientifically 
viable and you're kind of putting your brain away. Uh, he was raised an atheist. Uh, in the article, uh, he even says uh, that he was raised to believe uh, that, that faith in God wasn't uh, within the bounds of intellectualism. Like you couldn't right. intellectually believe in God. And so to know that he went into his profession trying to show people that and then uh, he he came and, and God, you know, revealed himself and, and won him over, if you will. It's a weird way to put it. But but that he came to faith is such an unbelievable story. I'm with you. If people don't know of Francis Collins, you've got to YouTube him. You've got to Google him and read his story because it's fascinating. Well, and he's written some stuff, too. And I know that we don't, we don't have a lot of time, but he wrote a book in 2006 called The Language of God, which right. is phenomenal. Apparently, I didn't realize this till reading the religion news article. That book is what led him and his wife, who's also a genetic counselor, to establish BioLogos Foundation in 2007, which we've referenced on the show before. And you can learn more at BioLogos.org. That is a really, really great starting point. If you're looking to maybe find some harmony between science and Christianity, which I know for a lot of people, that might be a scandalous proposition. But he is someone who I think has been a pioneer, actually, in having some of those conversations, which is... I don't know. I think I think you said it right on that it's 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 needed now more than ever for us to be able to help build some of those bridges rather than kind of continue the divide that, you know, widens the chasm between us. All right, yeah, he's, done, he's done work with viruses and vaccines like if now if not now, when right, go read about Francis Collins. Yeah, that's true. Coming up next, something that uh, Brian and I have not done in a long time. We're going to play a little game. Two games. Really, the first is antidepressant or Tolkien character. And the second is going to be Taylor Swift or Lamentation. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hi-de-ho, neighbors. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. There you will see our illustrated animated mask-wearing faces and all the articles that we reference on the show are posted there. Even stuff we don't talk about on the show. We would love for you to engage in dialogue there. There's been a number of almost heated discussions, which I think has been helpful. Yeah. You can also send us a message if you have ideas for future shows or topics or interviews. Plus, you can find us Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, just take just taking 36 seconds out of your day to subscribe, rate, and review. All of that does really help us out a whole lot. And we did this, it's maybe even been a year, Brian. It's been a yeah. long, long time. And you have no idea. I, so I literally put in the rundown two games. So That's right. you learned, as I was teeing up this segment, what these games were. So you do not know the answers to them. Two games we're going to play. The first is Taylor Swift lyric or verse from Lamentations. All right. And the second one will be antidepressant or Tolkien. So <laughs> <makes me> <laughs> let's do let's do Taylor Swift or Lamentations first. And uh, producer is ready with the, the sound effects. Are you ready to play? Hey, as a uh, card carrying Swifty, I'm ready to do this. Let's do this. Oh, boy. I wish you hadn't said that. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Number one for Taylor Swift or Lamentation. Number one. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Man, Taylor Swift. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
This is so much more fun with the sound effects. We're going to have to go a little faster than that, by the way, Brian Fromm. We got a lot okay, of. Okay, sorry. Right, I, I got the game. I, I should also mention these are in the message translation, so they'll feel a little more modern. All right, number two. Oh, you got me with Peterson. Okay. All right. Have you ever seen anything like this? Ever seen pain like my pain? Seen what he did to me? That's Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, you're a pastor is that right brian a pastor of the bible the christian bible all right number three yes. it rains when you're here and it rains when you're gone lamentations mm. oh! oh for three man this is, this is turning into a real uh wiffle ball sesh for you isn't it it really is all right, number, number four <laughs> Uh, long were the nights when my days once revolved around you. Around you. Oh, Taylor Swift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> okay, we got a lot here. Number five: walls of insincerity, shifting eyes, and vacancy vanished when I saw your face. Lamentations. Boy, I hope we're keeping score here because I would I'm, love to. I'm one for five. I'm one, one for okay. five. Yeah, but you're definitely yes. keeping track. Number six in the game of Taylor Swift or Lamentations, I weep, weep buckets of tears and not a soul within miles around cares. Lamentations. <laughs> no, 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 no. That one was Lamentations. <laughs> it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> one. Keith is just enjoying this. Uh, he just wants to knock you down a couple of pegs. All right, number seven, I gave up on life altogether. I forgot what the good life is like. Is it just I've forgotten what the good life is like? That's what she said? No, I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. Taylor Swift. Boy, oh boy, you are not great at this game. How many more do we have? We got a lot to go. Uh, number eight. I'm two for seven. <laughs> Did you have to do this? I was thinking that you could be trusted. Oh, that's got to be Taylor Swift. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Number nine, like shadows in a faded light. Oh, we're invisible. Uh, that sounds like Lamentations. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, number 10. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Lamentations. It's actually, it's actually both. That was a trick question. Uh, <laughs> uh, number 11, we've been to hell and back. We've nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. Rivers of tears pour from my eyes. That's got to be Taylor Swift. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is a game of Taylor Swift or Lamentation Verse, and Brian Fromm is not doing great. Number 12. I, I have a third of them correct exactly at the moment. Uh, see the vultures circling dark clouds. Love's a fragile little flame. It could burn out. Taylor Swift. There you go. <laughs> Number 13. You'll find out what it's like to get drunk and wake up with nothing. Taylor Swift. <laughs> You're so confident with that one, too. Number 14. Time turns flames to embers. Lamentations. Uh, last but not least of this game, number 15, these walls that they put up to hold us back will fall down. The time will come for us to finally win, and we'll sing hallelujah. We'll sing hallelujah. I'm going with my first thought. Lamentations. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, that was more fun than I thought it was going to be. We don't have a lot of time for the second game, Brian, but we're going to go for it. So that game we just played was Taylor Swift or Lamentations. The second game is Antidepressants or Tolkien. Are you ready to play? No, but I'll do it. Let's do it. Okay. Endronax. Antidepressant. Endronax, uh, sold under the brand name Endronax, among others, is a drug of the norepinephrine. I can't read it. The font's too small. Yeah, you got it right. Ah. All right, Haldir, H-A-L-D-I-R. Tolkien. Let's find out. You are you are I'm correct. Two <laughs> for two. <laughs> two for two, all right. Uh, Orofin, O-R-O-P-H-I-N. Tolkien. Correct. <laughs> Come on. You're, you're way better at things that aren't the Bible. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> all right. Two minutes left. Uh, Sir Dan, C-I-R-D-A-N. Antidepressant. I was waiting for the sound effect. Uh, no, you were incorrect. Oh, okay. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> He's still there. Uh, Nardil, N-A-R-D-I-L. That's got to be Tolkien. You think so? Yeah. Incorrect. Symbalta, uh, C-Y-M-B-A-L-T-A. Tolkien or antidepressant? Antidepressant. You think so? Not, not now that you said you think so, but yes, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are correct, sir. <laughs> I got it right. You did get it right. All right, minute and a half left. Uh, Elronin, E-L-R-O-N-O-N. Sounds like a character of Tolkien. Okay, you are false. Oh, <laughs> are we keeping track of this one? I was on. I have four right so far. I have four right. I don't know how many you've done, but I've got four. Uh, Narmacil, N A R M A C I L. Tolkien or antidepressant? Antidepressant. Antidepressant. Let's find out. Incorrect. You are not correct. That was the oh, wrong he- sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> has everyone been day drinking today? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> Sildenafil, S-I-L-D-E-N-A-F-I-L. Tolkien or antidepressant? Antidepressant. Correct. Oh, I got my five. <laughs> you got your five. All right, we got 30 seconds left. We'll do two more. Uh, okay. Lovox, L-U-V-O-X. Tolkien or antidepressant? Tolkien. Uh, incorrect. <laughs> All right, your last chance to redeem yourself. I'm ready. Sintamil, S-I-N-T-A-M-I-L. Tolkien or antidepressant? Tolkien. I'm going to wait for the sound effect. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if that translated to good radio or not, but I sure had a... That was really fun, and I was not good at it at all. I'm impressed at how much fun you had for how poorly you did, which uh, I think that makes you a good sport. You win a prize anyway, Brian. Way to go. And uh, I hope hope somebody listening along at home played as well. Coming up next, I want to talk a little bit more about Jordan and the last dance and uh, maybe take a little bit different angle on the perspective of his life. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh, hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place, mostly at our houses, but other places like Facebook, 
Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. We would also encourage you to review and like and share that page. That's sort of like the main engine by which we share what we're talking about. You can also send us messages if you have suggestions or ideas for future shows. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good. And wherever it is, you get your podcast. I want to talk a little bit more about The Last Dance, specifically a post that my buddy Brian made about some of like the undergirding character and perspective of Jordan. But before we go into that, Brian's going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing at the station. Well, I did just learn you have other friends named Brian. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He was he was before you, too. Oh, man. Well, let me share some good news after that hard news for me. Uh, (laughs) During the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that uh, unfortunately, many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are many of you out there who own businesses that are trying to stay open and serve the public as best you can. So if that's you, if you own or run a business that's still open, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. It's totally free. No catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. I mean, you know I'm going to say it, but that was that was like poetry, Brian. Really. Uh, I appreciate that. Special. Okay. I do. So, I've been practicing. So. Yeah, I can it's tell. Good. All right, so uh, Pastor Brian Lowry, a buddy of mine, actually met him years and years ago. And when I came to community, learned that a number of people there were also friends with him. Brilliant mind, brilliant preacher, brilliant thinker. He's just someone who's like social media presence. You know, you know that person that their social media presence is like consistently either a breath of fresh air or something like really thought provoking and compelling. Yes. He's just both of them. I think he's got just an incredible sense of seeing the world he wrote uh, about the last dance and it's a little long at least for facebook but if you'll let me i'd love to just read it and get your response you just finished the last dance i just started it but uh you're much more an avid sports fan than i am and i would love to know some of your thoughts regarding his thoughts so let me just read it this is from brian lowry and then brian Fromm will respond he says this post is long and perhaps needlessly so but i wanted to write it so i did let's start here Not every kid in the small Illinois town I grew up in, but just about every kid, couldn't help surrendering to the gravitational pull of Michael Jordan. He came, he saw, he conquered us all. I have to admit, I was a bit meh about it all until the first championship run. The reason why was a simple one. Despite marveling at the highlights I saw here and there, particularly the dunk contest of 88, I pretty much only concerned myself with how the Cardinals were doing. But then that first championship run. The buzz was far too great not to tune in, so my dad and I did just that when the playoffs began. Watching those finals determine the next eight years or so of my life. I decided I would watch every single game from there on, and I pretty much did. And goodness, the memories. That first run was magical. The move. Paxton catching fire. Jordan weeping and hugging the trophy. But the second run was even more magical for me because I'd watched the whole season. Every game. I was invested and the finals that year were special and dangerous. When Clyde Drexler fouled out in one of the, uh, the games in the finals, I was so excited. I jumped up and pumped my fist right into the light fixture of our living room stealing fan. <laughs> Dad had to take me to the, into the ER for stitches. I asked the medical staff to give me updates about the game while they did their work. After everything had been sewn up, the doctors looked me in the eyes and said, next time you watch a basketball game, maybe wear a baseball mitt. 
the end of the third run, the run against the Suns, I was on the road in a church van on the way to a youth conference in Tennessee. My friend Chad and I had watched every game that year, too, so we begged the youth minister to find the game on the radio. The reception was so patchy, the broadcast so static-riddled that we had to press our ears against the speakers, piecing together what was happening after hearing every other sentence by the announcers. We heard enough to know Paxson had done it again, that a third championship had come to Chicago. When I arrived back home from the conference, my dad was there in our van waiting for me. On the back seat, uh, seat there was a collector's edition of the Chicago Tribune, the Sun-Times, and USA Today. And besides them all, one of those gaudy championship t-shirts that was so popular back then. We rushed home and watched the game together, which my dad had taped for me on the VCR. Early one morning late that summer, my dad snuck into my room to tell me he'd scored us tickets to see Jordan and the Bulls play. I admit it. I cried. The next day, Jordan retired to go play baseball, and I admit it. I cried. We went to the game, of course, a Friday night against the Pistons, which I feel attacked personally, but that's okay. It was fun, <laughs> but I was missing. But it was missing Jordan. And then after a year and a half away, the return. My friends and I all went to Katie's house to watch the game against the Pacers. And I admit it. I cried. And then the next three championship runs, all of them so special. And my dad did indeed manage to score tickets for one game during that first season of the second three-peat. I got to see Jordan play during that second three-peat stretch. I got to see Jordan play from 1991 to 1998. One of the greatest sources of joy for me in life was watching Jordan and the Bulls play. And folks, I even love watching them play in 94, 95. The other day, just after the close of the last dance, I tweeted this little two-parter. I said, I'm fairly certain I'm in the minority on this one, but the last dance was more jarring than fun for me. Ten hours of being confronted with how much I love someone who I do not want to be like in any way, shape, or form. Don't get me wrong, because I'm no fool. I'd heard the rumors, read the books, watched the Hall of Fame speech, but to see it, to have it confirmed... To see the latent anger still ready to lurch and degrade and discard, hand to heart, it was hard for me to finish it. It's the least like tweet I've had in a while, which isn't saying much. It's not like I'm a prolific, gifted Twitter presence with an enormous audience, but still worth noting. And beyond that, you wouldn't believe the amount of text or emails I received telling me I was, quote, wrong because the series was, quote, awesome, that it was nothing more than, quote, great fun, and that I need to, quote, relax a bit. The worst text, even though... I don't think they were sent with vicious intent, told me I was an idiot. If I didn't already know the kind of person Jordan was. I debated tweeting it, uh, tweeting what I tweeted, but went for it anyway. And I probably shouldn't have. What gets me is the charge of idiot. The allegation that I should have long known that Jordan was a jerk. The change of idiocy bothers me. The charge of idiocy bothers me because, well, the second part of the tweet is me literally acknowledging I'd long known Jordan was cruel. But the charge also bothers me because I could have been clearer about what was so jarring and downright depressing for me about The Last Dance. Lack of clarity is almost always on the writer. Here's something I decided to do long before The Last Dance came along. Stop cheering for Michael Jordan. And not because I don't think he's the greatest basketball player ever, because he is by a mile, by many, many miles. And I haven't stopped cheering because the run that they had in the 90s really wasn't all that special for me and my dad. It was, and it still is. I stopped cheering because I just don't have it in me to feed the man who feeds a beast in his belly that continues to eat at him and to eat himself alive before our very eyes. During those magical runs of the 90s, I did hear bits and pieces about the seedier side of Jordan, but it was mostly about gambling, which was a world I just didn't understand and thus didn't care too much about, and grudges. I'd heard about contractual divisiveness, but that too was a world I just didn't understand or care too much about. But in the years since those magical runs, I've read the books, 
books that go much further and darker than the one by Bob Green that I read during the sophomore year of high school and a sunny little number that leaves you half believing Jordan should be in ministry. I've read the countless articles. I've listened to his interviews, few and far between. I've heard the testimonies of teammates. I've watched that ugly Hall of Fame speech in which Jordan took the stage with one goal to viciously lay low his enemies and doubters. And the fact that his speech unfolded in the warmth of David Robinson's made it all made it even worse, uglier. And now the last dance, there are moments where I was overwhelmed with joy seeing footage and highlights I hadn't seen for years, but each thrilling segment was interrupted by seething and sad commentary by Jordan. Rumors swirled for years that the 20 and 30 year old man acted like a petulant six year old, giddily berating and bullying with the tepid defense of the ends justify the means. And when all this is said and done, it's all right because it teased excellence from everyone around him, including himself. The rumors have been confirmed for us in the years since. But that's uh, but what's most distressing is that the last dance shows us that the, this nearly 60 year old man unrelentingly chooses to remain a petulant six year old, giddily berating and bullying those who are living and those who have passed nursing grudges that were either real or absurdly imagined. And as Dan Patrick has pointed out, Jordan doesn't hold a grudge. He strangles it. The last dance encourages us to cheer on the greatest, the one who was and chooses to remain the smallest. I was stunned while watching The Last Dance, and I wanted to cheer for Jordan again, but I held the line because I know, and The Last Dance helped me know all the more, and I just don't have it in me to cheer on bullies, be they athletes, politicians, pastors, or the guy or gal just down the street. But Brian, come on, what can we expect of folks not led along by what's leading us along? A fair point, and one I do absolutely keep in mind, but my nodding to this truth doesn't afford me the freedom to cheer on that which is unacceptable and devastating. I don't have it in me to cheer on bullies. And what's more, I don't have it in me to marvel at that which is killing a man. Perhaps the most powerful moment in the documentary for me was the moment most powerful for you, the moment when Jordan once again found himself pushing back against the allegations of his being a berater and a bully, trotting out the tired notion that one must do whatever one must do to win. But he broke in the middle of his defense. He broke and the levees of his eyes broke too. He called for a break when he broke because he was on the verge of weeping because he knows I don't think we have time to get into the rest of it, but I would just love to know in 15 seconds or less, how do you, how do you respond to a commentary like this? Yeah, it's deep. I think that uh, we all struggle in watching it because we've heard these things about Jordan and he clearly was on some levels a bully. He, he motivated by anger and demeaning. He knew he was better than everybody. It's the struggle we all do with as sports fans, right? It's, are we rooting? We're really just rooting for these guys to win. And we don't really want to know what they're like. My favorite team growing up ever is the 1986 Mets that ended up being full of criminals and really bad guys. I had posters of them on my room wall as a kid. And uh, really what we're cheering for is just winning. And I think when we get older, we realize, oh, maybe we shouldn't be holding these people up and admiring them. So I get what this guy's saying, because watching the last dance, you didn't come away you came away understanding Jordan's leadership, understanding what drove him, but also understanding that he wasn't really well liked by his teammates. Uh, and while the best player ever, it probably wasn't all that enjoyable at times. And so I totally get what this guy's saying. That's a good word, man. And uh, we've posted this over on our Facebook page. You can read the entire thing in its fullness. And just to say it out loud, Brian Lowry, thank you for your wisdom and your insights in this issue and so many others. I really appreciate it. Coming up next, here's the headline. Churches obsessed with their right to reopen are missing the point. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about whether or not churches really should reopen. And then we're going to interview David A.R. White, founding partner of Pure Flix Entertainment. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us all over the World Wide Web. I don't know that Googling is all that helpful. That'd be fun just to see what shows up. Probably a lot of things. We did find out that uh, somebody confused our page for Vote Common Good. That's right. Something else entirely. So that person probably still doesn't like us. Either way. They were not, uh, that person was not happy with us. <laughs> they were not. We are different. If you don't see the Common Good Radio Show in your Facebook search there, it's something different entirely. But that's where we post our articles. You can send us messages. You can rate and review that page or share it with a friend. All of that helps us out a whole lot. Plus, we're podcasts. Subscribing, rating, reviewing to the podcast helps a whole lot. We know that a lot of people are trying to get back into the rhythms. I don't know. Do you find yourself listening to a lot less podcasts or a lot more? Um, I probably listen to a little bit less. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I am too, because I listen to a lot during my commute and I don't have a commute. That's right. That's right. A lot in the commute. And I would like, I would often do work at like a Panera or Starbucks with, uh, with a podcast while listening to a podcast. Whereas now I'm home. So I probably am doing that a little bit less. I forgot how much you love Panera. I haven't heard you talk about it in yeah, so although long. They got rid of the chili. They got rid of the chili. So I'm okay. Oh, I'm not, boy. you know. How I probably they? wouldn't be going as much anyway. <laughs> All right. So I got two articles here, two mm, slightly different perspectives. The first one, the headline reads, churches obsessed with their right to reopen are missing the point. And then the subheading says, genuine Christian faith is larger than the U.S. Constitution. What's going on here? Yeah, both of these around what is right now just a, uh, as we've been saying the last couple of days, is just an increasingly inflamed conversation, not just reopening our culture, but it feels like it's kind of centering on churches in a lot of places. And uh, that's what these articles are getting at. And before I discuss these articles, I was telling you off air, I had a chance to um, be on a Zoom call today with like 25 other local pastors from kind of the DuPage County area. Uh, that some pastors put together just so we could all look each other and be like, what are you doing? Like, what are you hearing? What are you thinking? And I expected there to be some people on there like angry. Right. Right. And I was really encouraged. Every person on that call, I would say, was very level headed, hmm. uh, was very cautious Uh spoke to there was none of kind of it kind of gets to what you and i've been saying that it's always the loudest kind of extreme voices that get the most play uh in the news because this was my entire screen was people going i want to be smart uh we want to you know romans 13 and the government and all this stuff it was really good i i left encouraged by it but uh this article especially this one at christian century uh is getting at this idea uh of of our rights, like right. First amendment rights for some people. That's what you're hearing. Our first amendment right to gather, uh, trumps our, our even, uh, the, the, uh, fear around the virus or the shutdown or whatever else. And this author says, Peter mate, Marty is his name. Uh, he's a, a editor publisher at the century and the senior pastor of St. Paul Lutheran church in Davenport, Iowa. He says the language of rights is the language of power. No right is safe unless it can be carried to the extreme, conservative political philosopher Harvey Mansfield once remarked. This may be what we're witnessing at the moment. Even though all rights have limits, you can't shout fire in a crowded movie theater. The absolutizing of rights has become a distorted feature 
of American politics. And so he's going to want to say uh, that churches being obsessed with their rights to reopen, that, are, that that's not the point and that the, con- the conversation needs to go a little deeper than that. And so he ends it by saying, or later on, he says, I want a faith that's larger than the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution is a fantastically valuable document to any of us who are American citizens, but the Constitution doesn't require me to give food to the hungry or shelter for the homeless. There's no Mm -hmm. amendment that forces me to listen to science or consider the needs of the medically vulnerable or attend to the aspirations of the elderly. I appreciate my rights, but fixating on those rights at the expense of the love, compassion, and mercy contained in the substance of faith is wrong. Faith Mm -hmm. is more of an essential service than a lot of things right now perhaps especially these lawsuits that claim moral high ground for religious freedom. And so I think it's a really interesting take because we are hearing that more and more. It's our rights. It's our rights. It's our rights. And our rights are important. Uh, and we want to stand up for them. But at the same time, uh, Peter Matry here is saying, as Christians, there are some things involved in this particular discussion around COVID-19 and health and other things uh, that maybe are more important than our own individual rights. That's a pretty challenging article, but I would encourage people to read it. Yeah, let me read the two paragraphs in between what you read. Yeah. He uh, quotes from legal scholar Mary Ann Glendon, calls it the illusion of absoluteness. In her 1991 book, Rights Talk, she points out that when uh, talk of rights turns absolute, it inhibits conversation, silences responsibility, and downplays obligation toward the common good. She writes that the, quote, relentless individualism promoted by such rights, uh, such rights talk, uh, quote, fosters a climate that is inhospitable to society's losers and systemically disadvantages caretakers and dependents young and old. Rights are certainly important, but there's a reason the Bible shows little interest in individual rights. If I see my life primarily as a prepackaged set of guaranteed rights owed me instead of a gift of God, what motivation is there to feel deep obligation towards society's most vulnerable? If I'm just receiving what's my rightful due, why would I ever need to express gratitude? What's the point of looking outward toward others if I'm chiefly responsible for looking inward and securing the personal rights that are mine? Do you, do you find that that is a fair parsing of the two camps right now and again painting with a broad brush is that a fair summary of the two kind of meta narratives that you're seeing out there right now i think so in in the needing to describe it in a in a succinct kind of way like he had to i think that's that is good because you you want to ask what are my rights and that's an important cover we don't want to demonize one of these two right like we, we don't want to just give up our rights as churches, as Christians. We, we want that. But at the same time, the Christian call, the call of the Christ follower to uh, to think of the vulnerable, uh, to, to love the most vulnerable, to, to watch out for those who are the most marginalized. When you when you deal with a pandemic like this, that is, quite frankly, attacking in greater percentages uh, those people who are the most vulnerable. I think he makes a great point that. Maybe it's that conversation that needs to go above what is my personal right, uh, or, or maybe at least it delays the conversation of our rights, and instead the public health takes uh, takes precedent. And again, that's honestly, man, what I heard on this call today uh, mm. from these other pastors. It was, we want to be cautious. We want to think about the most vulnerable in our congregations. We want to, and it gets into the Vanderblumen article here at the Christian Post where Vanderblumen and these other guys are talking about how to do this. And he's talking about like 
consider small groups, consider house parties when you can have this number, stay within your state guidelines, gather in phases. Like this is the conversations that people are having. I don't hear a lot of the people in my circles being like, forget them. Let's just open up and do this. Um, and so I think, but I think Peter Matry, I think he gets at the heart of it that maybe right now the number one talk is not exclusively what is my personal right, uh, but instead what is best for even the people in my congregation who are most vulnerable. Um, and, and to think with through that lens right now when you're talking about something like a pandemic. Well, and we'll post both articles to the Facebook page. The first is from ChristianCentury.org. And the second from ChristianPost.com. The ChristianPost.com one is more about how do we actually strategically step into the next coming weeks and months, which, you know, bluntly said, is going to differ state by state for sure. It's going to also differ size by size. I'm looking at this right now and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, a lot of these things are things we're talking about. The one I'm really interested in, how much time do we have? Just, uh, Just about a minute or so. How are you navigating the children's ministry aspect of this? I, that's easily the most difficult part of all of this, even when we yeah. can get together. I think uh, in my mind, when we can get even back to 50 or like smaller gatherings in the church building, it's going to be without children's ministry is my guess, or a very pared down children's ministry where they're socially gathered, maybe like watching a movie with lots smaller number of kids. We certainly haven't made that decision yet, but I think children's ministry is going to be uh, really touchy going forward. Uh, and that's okay. We all just need to figure that out. Where are you guys at with that? Yeah, probably about the same. I mean, we're we're kind of playing it one one step at a time, and we have exactly. some strategies for the next couple of months. But that that is most certainly probably the stickiest enigma of the, especially when you're dealing with, I mean, the safety of kids. Where you know, all yeah. of those precautions need to be of the utmost importance, and I think that's going to be that's anyone's guess exactly how everyone will respond to that. But we're prayerfully we're leading into the future, man. Yep. Well, coming up next, we're going to interview David A.R. White, who is the founding partner of Pure Flix Entertainment and also an actor in a number of films that I'm sure you will be familiar with. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. It's where we post all of our articles, and you can send us messages if you have suggestions for topics or interviews or ideas you can also find us on instagram and twitter at common good talk and wherever it is you get podcasts we are thrilled to have on the line actor and founding partner of pure flicks entertainment david a.r white welcome to the show sir hey thanks so much for having me i appreciate it it's our pleasure would you just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience yeah um i'm uh david a.r white and uh, you might know me from the God's Not Dead movies. Um, also one of the founding partners of Pure Flix. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, happy to be here today and, um, and answer any questions and or I'll ask you guys a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, David, I'm wondering, uh, the God's Not Dead movies and you starred in many faith films, um, what is the reputation in Hollywood for faith films? And what do you long to see when people think about films that are, that are about Christianity and about Jesus? Um, well, I think the reputation uh, is amazing. I think there's no negativity towards faith, <laughs> or faith films at all. And that is the bubble that I choose to live in. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, Sounds no, nice. No, you know what was interesting is I uh, I came to Hollywood in in the '90s, okay, um, and uh, and I ended up on that show with Burt Reynolds, um, a show called Evening Shade, and and was on there for almost four years, and and then did a bunch of television, um, and uh, it was interesting because back then the Christian movies were 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 the only. Billy Graham's organization was the only company that had been making Christian movies. Hmm. Um, and you know, from Joni to the hiding place to, you know, those were the type of films that were being made or you were part of a ministry and they would make like these 30 minute movies, um, that would somehow, you know, push their, the ministry. Hmm. And so my goal early on was I just always had a heart for the Christian faith based arena and despite the fact that the genre really didn't exist, I just, I, I was like, there's no reason for it not to exist. And, and you know, I always thought it's kind of like Christian uh, music. It was just 10, 20 years behind it, hmm. where Christian music didn't really exist in the 70s very much other than Keith Green and, you know, those type of things. But then in the 80s, like it just broke out. And then all of a sudden now, today... We have all the studios have a faith-based division, pretty much, right? And um, and it's much more widely accepted, and and I'm just happy to be pro- you know part of that. So what I'm what I'm interested in because you wrote a book called Between Heaven and Hollywood, and we have a guy who's a, a regular on this hey, show. I did? <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you not aware? Oh, we should you get a ghostwriter on the line then. That's what we should be doing. I did not know that that actually came out. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm, cu- I'm curious on the premise of it because, like, we have Dallas Jenkins on the show pretty regularly, and he's the writer and director of The Chosen. And a former professor of mine named Darren Wilson started Wanderlust Productions, which is like a whole different sort of spectrum of Christianity and filmmaking. What is the book ultimately about, and, and what's sort of your hopes for it? Yeah, this book, you know, um, uh, the tagline is Chasing Your God Given Dream. And mm-hmm. ultimately, um, I feel like I'm a, a testament to God chooses the most unlikely people and he puts them where he wants them um, to do the things that he wants them to do. And my, my parents were, you know, my father was a Mennonite pastor who always had a dream for me to be an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And our entire family went off and, uh, you know, went and graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and went into the ministry. My brother and my sister, they all met their significant others there. And, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, maybe fortunately, I don't know. But my choice at that time, I felt like the Lord saying, nope, I want you to go to Hollywood. Mm. And so I left Bible school after a year and I went to Hollywood at 19. And, mm. you know, it's sometimes um, I think it, it's like, I just remember sitting on a tractor in the middle of a wheat field when I was a kid and I had this unbelievable dream to tell stories in the movie industry. Mm. I don't know where it came from growing up as a Mennonite, you know, it's not necessarily the the people who go right into the entertainment industry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, uh, but that's the, that's really the basis of the book is that God chooses, you know, what is your God given dream? What's that thing that's inside of you that you can't let go. Hmm. And that, that he, you know, he wants you to pursue. And ultimately for me, it's just my, you know, my little story. It, it's between heaven and Hollywood is, is my story growing up. But ultimately uh, more than that, I think it's, Hopefully it becomes part of your story. Where does that relate to you and to the dreams that God has put in your life and does, and how do we pursue, pursue those? And how do we know that they're truly from him that we're supposed to pursue those? Yeah. Hmm. 
without giving too much of the book away, I'm curious, what was that conversation like with your parents, with your dad? And uh, yeah, what was that like even saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Hollywood and drop out of school? Yeah, I, well, you know, I think I, I, I think it was really hard for my parents. Um, mm-hmm. And I try to tell parents today, you know, the same thing that my, my parents said, and I hope that I can say it to my children as well is, hey, as long as you serve the Lord and whatever you do, then, you know, we support you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't, it's like, it's an interesting thing because the Lord chose to, you know, I, I ended up going into the faith world and producing a lot of films and, you know, and, and in 2005, we created a company called PureFlix. And, you know, now this is a, it's a streaming platform, pureflix.com that, that is like Netflix. A lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of this, but there's over 11,000 titles that are on this platform that you can stream from anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, that is you know, on your phone, on your tablets, on your, you know, on your computers, on your television, that allows you to watch this content that has been seen by someone that, that has Judeo-Christian values and it's all hmm. faith and family views. And, you know, and, and ultimately that's what, and given the fact that, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, um, it's amazing what the Lord does. Even, you know, when we went away, when PureFlix went away from theatrical and went into, push into this SBOD, we didn't exactly know why we, the Lord was leading us into this other than, you know, we saw it as the wave of the future. But now more than ever, you know, as families are coming around and, and the platform is more popular than ever, hmm. um, again, you know, families are coming together and they're watching PureFlix, which is just a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's remarkable. What what led you to start that in the first place? Like, I wouldn't even know how to go after the the thought of actualizing a dream like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it's a it's a it's a thing that my father taught me early on is it's surrounding yourself with really smart people mm. and surrounding your people yourself with people who have similar goals of yours. And even though you or me. You know, from a performer and a storyteller perspective, I don't have the the uh, the technology capability to mm. to build a platform on my own. Is that is with others, it's, it's possible. And um, you know, years and years ago in the eighties, my father actually built the first radio station, Christian radio station in Southwest Kansas. Never even existed. Wow. Like all these farmers were out in the middle of a wheat field with no. Christian radio to listen to. And that was his vision at that time. Um, and he got just a, a wonderful group of people around him that helped facilitate that. And they built these towers all over. Now Christian radio is all over Kansas and Oklahoma and mm-hmm. places that it was never before. And I think PureFlix is similar in that way is that it's just something that, that didn't exist um, before. And now, you know, and now people can watch, you know, classic shows from, you know, Family Affair to Jeff Foxworthy to Veggie Tales, Beverly Hillbillies, you know, the old shows. Yeah. Or we also have all this new original content coming um, that in, in these original movies that are coming and they drop every month. And and I'm happen to be doing a show right now called Finding Love in Quarantine of All Things. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's this, you know, uh, how in the world do you find love in quarantine? And then what is the faith part behind that? What's the backdrop? When, you know, when pandemic is a backdrop, what is, where does God fit into that? And right. So, you know, it's just, um, 
I, I could go on, you know, if we have another hour, I could just talk <laughs> to you guys about everything. But uh, I know if you want to shut me up, it's probably time. So. Oh, gosh. David, I got one more quick question for you. I was going through some of the movies you've done, and uh, I saw that you starred in a movie. You wrote and starred in a movie with Fred Willard, who passed away last week. I love his movies. I'm just curious what he was like to work with and what he was like as an actor. Yeah, Fred Willard was a he was he was a gift um, to work with. I, I did a film called Holy Man Undercover, and you know, it's one of those pure flick films that um, certainly is like uh, uh, not a lot of people saw it. You know, I, I I wrote it with a couple other buddies, and I directed it, and I played two roles in the thing, and Fred Willard and John Schneider and Edie McClurg and all these like really fun uh, comedians are in that movie. And, mm-hmm. and Fred Willard, when he came on board, um, as my boss in the film, uh, I was so pleased. And, you know, it was interesting because this was 2009. And when he got out of his car and walked into the, for the first time and I saw Fred Willard, um, I thought, Oh my gosh, he looks terrible because he was so like, he was just like, you know, like limping. I don't know if he needed hip surgery at the time, but he just looked like an old, old man. Mm. And that was in 2008. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so 20 years later, you know, when he is, when he is passed, but the interesting thing about it was, is when he started acting, he just came to life. And mm. I think there's a lot of actors that do that. They they look like they're, they're not going to be able to deliver. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're back to their old self. You know, that classic thing. And Fred Willard delivered in Holy Man. You don't even know. He's, a, you know, it's like he, he, he was just brilliant in it and so fun to work with. And also you never really quite got, you, you know, I knew he knew what he was doing, but he would make it appear like he didn't even know that he was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> just in conversation. Cause everything out of his mouth was so funny. And you'd be like, does he even know what he's saying? But yeah, <laughs> sure he did. That's amazing. You've been listening to David A.R. White, the founding partner of Pure Flix Entertainment. You can learn more at pureflix.com. Also, the author of Between Heaven and Hollywood. You can find that on Amazon. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for taking time with me. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Likewise, man. Okay. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Ryan Fromm. Find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get fine podcasts. Go ahead. Subscribe, rate, review. Go ahead is the Brian Fromm way of saying it. Yeah, just, just, just do it. Just one, go ahead. Just, I wanted to give it a shot here on this hump day just to try to work in as many Brian Frommisms <laughs> as I possibly could. What would be another ism at the beginning of a segment that you would say? Uh, alongside Ian Simpkins. <laughs> I think I already said that. Oh, no, I said along with, which I think yours is yeah. more grammatically correct than mine. Alongside, yes, yes, yes. I did also realize that before we went live, I had asked you to handle the social stuff, and I just did it. Oh, man. I might as well turn my mic off right now. I just didn't done. cover Instagram and Twitter, though, if you want to tell them about that. Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk. I don't think you covered online either, 1160hope.com. I think I did. I think I, I did. Want, I want them to know again, though. Uh, okay, you really, really want to emphasize 1160hope.com. Yes, I think you I can also to go, go to wyll.com, but I don't think we're supposed to mention that one. I think it goes to the same place. I could be wrong. Oh, okay, I'll ask Alexa yeah. sometime in the next twelve months. Um, <laughs> so before we get into this article from Missio Alliance, which reads "Renewal in the Valley of the Pandemic," real briefly, Thriving Financial 
This is an organization that I love. I've been a part of Thriving for seven or eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. If you are looking for some help in your Wise With Money journey, I cannot recommend them enough. They're a wonderful Fortune 500 non-for-profit. They've been around for 100 years. They're also, though, they're making it available. If you're looking for some career changes, you can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. You can peruse what they have available there. I could, could not encourage you enough to check that out. Also, They've been providing a whole bunch of free workshops and webinars. We're posting them on our Facebook page, but you can also go to their Facebook page. Highly recommend you check out their content because it's all super stellar and really timely and super de-duper helpful. All right, so this is an article written by Jay Kim today over at missioalliance.org, and I appreciate, too, how they're organizing their like COVID-19 resources. They organize it under Soul Care, Ministry Tools, and Learning Opportunities. So this is a formation article. This is under the soul care umbrella and the headline reads renewal in the valley of the pandemic what's going on with this article here yeah the whole beginning of the article is like a lot of the articles we've read about how disorienting these last couple months uh and and going going back and going forward uh and um just what do we do with that so it talks about that and then he says this personal renewals begin in hidden places the author mark sayers reminds us Eventually, the inner change of the heart will overflow out into external lives, creating a potential for renewal in the social world around us. So he says, could it be that the disruption of this global pandemic is actually refocusing our gaze away from the bright lights of far Hmm. off possibilities Hmm. down to the fertile soil beneath our feet? In the words of C.S. Lewis, it is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. Hmm. This dirt, once thought ordinary and mundane, is now the place in which we find ourselves sheltered, sheltered in and hunkered down. And it is the place where the seeds of our greatest future can be planted, the seeds of renewal. Uh, no fanfare for what we've done, only hunger for what God may do. The potential for renewal is before us. But it demands a specific sort of participation by way of confession and of the mind. And so he's going to go now into talking about renewal. But I thought that was important that that he's saying maybe just maybe in the midst of this pandemic and all that's been taken away from us and all that, uh, you know, we feel like we've uh, just kind of been sheltered at home. He's saying, could this be where the seeds of renewal Uh, start to be planted and give birth. And so he goes on to start with the renewal by confession. He says, Psalm 51, which we all know is created in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, Psalm 51 is attributed to David as a song of repentance for his actions against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. When confronted by Nathan, the story tells us that David immediately recognizes his wrongdoing with a succinct yet poignant confession, I have sinned against the Lord. So later on, he says, I found that living under the conditions of stay at home orders with seemingly no end in sight has a way of revealing the most broken parts of me. Let us pause. Let me pause there. Uh, This idea that the stay at home orders and taking away a lot of the things we used to busy our lives with kind of being a magnifying glass or a window into our most broken parts. uh, Is that something that you've thought about? Is that something that you think is true? Yeah, I, I would say yes to both. It's what I've appreciated about this website in particular because, and again, not that any of these things are bad, but I feel like I see a whole lot of posts about all of these projects people are undertaking or all of these yeah. hobbies or skills that people are either dusting off or engaging with in the first. I think all of that's good, but part of what 
part of what he's saying here, and I think he's spot on, is that in a season like this one, which, again, there really hasn't been a season like this one, at least in my lifetime, mm-hmm. it has disrupted the rhythms enough that I think if we're intentional could lead to some rhythms of really meaningful confession. And what I mean by that is if we'll allow it, having all of sort of our normalcy stripped from us can be an opportunity to then go fill it with other tasks right. or an opportunity to really sit and reflect uh, on our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world and the ways that maybe we've even contributed to what we would call like the disruption of Shalom. You know, this idea that, Ooh. oh man, there's things that I've done or am doing that are not helpful to me or my family or my church or my community. And I think it, I think it can be both. And I'm not saying don't pick up hobbies and don't, you know, clean the attic and, you know, work in the garage. But I think it is really, it's a helpful thing for us to be mindful of that confession is something so, so healing. And we're given sort of a unique opportunity right here and now to actually lean into it. Why don't you talk to us about the second one here, renewal of the mind. Yeah, so he says, secondly, renewal of the mind. He goes, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, before the coronavirus, most mornings I woke up with my mind racing, appointments and meetings, problems and complexities to be solved. But these days, they're different. My mind is clearer. There are still problems and complexities, to be sure, and all of it muddled with a novel confusion brought on by the uncertainty of the season. But My thoughts plod much slower across the planes of my intellect now that there is much open space here. Hmm. And when it comes to the options to which uh, with which to fill that space, there's a dizzying array of tempting choices. Netflix, YouTube, Twitter, the list goes on and on. The digital age offers us a smorgasbord of enticing, entertaining content to distract us into oblivion. But the mind holds catalytic potential for both regression and renewal. When Jesus was asked of the greatest commandment, all three synoptic gospels tells us that he responds by citing the Shema with the added twist, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Mm -hmm. For Jesus, the mind was a crucial part of the life of love. What does it mean then to love God with our minds? The writer, uh, Dallas Willard, is helpful here as he says, uh, have you ever wondered how you love God with your mind? You do it by focusing your mind on him and by submitting all of your powers to the, of the mind to him so that he might use them. Whether we know it or not, we have God on our minds at all times. Later on, he's going to say, as we shelter in place with so many distractions, just a swipe or a click of a button away, what does it look like to submit our powers of the mind to God? Uh, and I'll end with this. He said, I found three simple disciplines. Uh, to be most helpful limits on what and how much entertainment and news media we consume establishing daily practices of extended scripture reading, establishing a reading list of books designed to focus our minds on God. So there's a lot more here, but his point being that we can fill our minds with all sorts of distraction right now, as you and I've talked about a lot, but instead he's saying, can we use this time to renew our minds like Romans 12 does to focus them on God? And then he gives us ways to do that. He's kind of pushing us to being a little bit more intentional and proactive with what we're thinking about even during this crazy time. Yeah, and I love the way he ends it. He says, there is a beautiful partnership and cohesion between renewal by confession and the renewing of our minds. With the former, we release the toxicity of sin within. With the latter, we receive the life-giving truths of God. Release and receive, release and receive, release and receive. Renewal begins in hidden places as we reshape and reform our daily rhythms in this simple yet profound way. Again, 
can't encourage you enough to be paying yeah. attention to what Miss You Alliance is doing because it feels like every single day I'm coming across something new over there that is super timely or super potent or su- super pointed in some way. And it's kind of, it's sort of in my way, at least for me in my limited corner of the digital space, it's a, it's a website and a collection of people who are speaking prophetically at a time where it feels like a lot of people's bearings feel really, really far off. And uh, I'm super grateful for them and all the work that they're doing. And as is often the case, here comes a hard right turn. We're going to land the plane <laughs> with a little interweb insanity, which is probably the opposite of everything that we just talked about in this segment. Stories from the Internet that we have not seen. Sound effects we have not heard. Brian Fromm and I are going to read them sight unseen, and we're just going to react right along with you. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Woo! All right, everybody. We made it. It's the end of the show. Almost. Don't Almost. don't fail on us yet. The most loved and most despised segment of the entire show. It is the most polarizing thing that we do, probably. That's maybe not true. It's in the top three, though, for sure. If you're new to the show, here's the rigmarole. So we end every show with some stories from the interwebs that Brian Fromm and I have not read. There's some sound effects that we have not heard. We just dive in willy-nilly like the innocent lambs that we are. And for some reason, we continue doing this segment each and every day. Before we do all of that, I would encourage you as we're wrapping up, because let's be honest, once the show is done, you probably got all this free time, right? So you might as well meander over to the Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. Rate and review that page. You can send us a message. You can see all the articles that we post. You can also get the podcast, if you're joining us halfway in particular, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. All of that helps us out a whole lot. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, and we would love to engage with you in any of those platforms there. Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? We are going to England. Escaped bull blocks traffic, damages a police car. Yikes. Police in Britain said a bull that escaped from a slaughterhouse managed to damage a police car and cause traffic backups before being recaptured. West Midlands police said they were called to the Sparkbrook area of Birmingham, England, just before 8 a.m. with reports of a loose animal. A witness, a Shah Zafar, captured video of the bull causing traffic backups on a busy road. It's believed that the bull escaped from a nearby abattoir. I'm going with that's a slaughterhouse. Uh, <laughs> Response units were deployed to the scene. Officers worked with staff to guide the bull back into a van before it was taken away. No one was injured. One police car suffered minor damage, and the bull, well, we don't know what happened to him. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. All right, so uh, why don't we go to New Zealand next? New Zealand Uh sounds nice this time of year. Woman wanting payment holds sheep for ransom. Ooh, (laughs) there's there's a pun there somewhere. Coming right in the first line. Oh, there is? <laughs> Police yep. were forced to intervene after a woman held an associate sheep for ransom. I, it was right under my nose. How did I miss that? <laughs> All right. Senior Sergeant said police received a report on Sunday of a woman withholding an associate's male sheep until she received a payment she believed she was owed. This woman was told she could not hold the other person's property and had to return it. Kiwis flocked to social media to poke fun of the situation. You aren't even kidding. Spelled E-W-E, by the way. Wonder what the ramifications will be. Gosh, oh, darn, no. these are all so good. Another wrote, what a dag. I'm assuming that's a cultural thing, maybe. I hope yeah. they didn't bail them up. I'm only getting about a half of these. A third, <laughs> a third joked, I don't think they're telling us everything. They're trying to, here it is, pull the wool over our eyes. Oh, boy. 
It's not the first time that New Zealand sheep have been involved in a police incident. In 2016, four fugitives who led police on a high-speed chase through central Otago and Queenstown were arrested after they were brought to a halt by a flock of sheep on the road. That was a perfect article for you with so many puns throughout it. That was like your I feel, article. I feel so loved. Next one's from Virginia. Contentious ruling. Item can be taken from Titanic. Huh. A federal judge in Virginia has ruled that a salvage firm can retrieve the Marconi uh, wireless telegraph machine that broadcasts distress calls from the sinking Titanic ocean liner. In an order released Monday, U.S. District Judge Rebecca Beach Smith agreed that the telegraph is historically and culturally important and could soon be lost within the rapidly decaying wreck site. Smith is the maritime jurist who presides over Titanic salvage matters for a federal court uh, in Norfolk. Smith's order is a big win for RMS Titanic, the court-recognized salver or steward of the Titanic's artifacts. But the battle may not be entirely over. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which represents the public's interest in the wreck site, fiercely opposes the mission. They argued in court documents that the telegraph is likely surrounded by the mortal remains of more than 1,500 people and should be left alone. Okay, Brian, so two quick questions. One, uh, are the police coming for you? Are you okay over there? Is that- I quickly closed my window. Do you know what that is? I think a street over, I'm guessing they're doing one of those parades for a little kid where, like, all the police and fire drive by. And so uh, all right. of their sirens went off at once. Okay, cool. <laughs> Second question is, did you know that I played bass in Maritime Jurist for a summer? <laughs> no? Nice. <Okay. laughs> all right, we are running out of time. Florida, man accused of gator wrestling along highway, cops called. A concerned citizen called the Lee County Sheriff's Office to report that a man was on the side of Daniels Parkway wrestling gators. Just so everyone listening realizes, by the way, I'm not adding that accent. It's written in that way. W-R-A-S-S-L-I-N apostrophe. Deputy Quijano with the Lee County Sheriff's Office responded to the call and located a shirtless white male in a dried canal well, there's something you don't see every day. I feel like every Florida story at some point has alcohol and a shirtless white male. <laughs> it's almost a prerequisite. Last one's out of Arizona. Toddler's legal name is Baby Boy, but parents didn't select it. Oh, boy. A Tucson mother said naming her son has become a nightmare and blames the county office of vital records for a problem. It all started because the parents took longer than a year to finalize the name for personal reasons. <laughs> Leola Leola Alibu says her son will be two in August. And while most kids have a legal name, it's something Alibu's son still needs in order to get health care benefits. I asked what needed to be asked, and I was not told the correct answers. We wanted to name our son based on what's at or near his zenith at the hour of his birth, what's huh. in space when he's born. I don't know, understand what I'm reading. <laughs> With that thought in mind, the parents decided to wait to choose the right name, and we're looking at, a, looking at hundreds of options. They also say she was vigilant about checking with the county to make sure the law was unchanged. However, when the couple went to get a birth certificate, they got some news they didn't expect. I made calls and to obtain it, and the birth certificate already had the name Baby Boy Alligue. What kind of stupid name is that? I was starting to sound how I imagine Frank Zappa named his children. I think that was the same, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> same methodology. I love the panic in your voice. I don't know what I'm reading. I started reading a string of words that didn't make sense to me when put together. <laughs> I could tell that they lost you at Zenith, right? That probably yes. was straw that broke the camel's back. Well, as you can see, it truly is both interweb and insanity. 
We hope you at least enjoyed it a little bit. And we'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Ian Simpkins. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.